Well, as you can tell by the graphic behind me, we're still in a series, God Loves You. And it's very appropriate on this Father's Day because what we're going to talk about is the Father's love today. We've talked about, we spend quite a bit of time going back over why this is a transformational revelation. Why learning, not just so much in our head, but in our heart, a greater understanding of God's love for us. And as my wife shared, it changes you. And we've seen what the difference it makes as we've gone through a number of things. Fear. We've talked about generosity. We've talked about being able to love. And all of that is a response to knowing how much God loves us. And because many times, many Christians, most of us, are trying to do out of, a, out of the good intentions of our heart the things the Bible's commanded us to do, but we're trying to give something we haven't fully received. And you can only give something that you've received, and you'll give it the way you've received it. And so this is why this is so important for us right now. And it's interesting because while we were on vacation, uh, the church we visit when we're down in that play area uh, regularly and, we've, and we met the pastor, they're having a praise night coming up in several weeks. And the theme of the praise night is Good, Good Father. So I'm hearing that almost wherever I go now, which means God's trying to get something across to us. God is trying to get across to His body, the body of Christ, that not only is he a good, good father, but he loves us. The revelation of his love for us. So it's very appropriate on Father's Day that we talk about this. So our, our principal scripture is the most famous, probably, verse in the Bible, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. And the key word in that verse for what we're talking about is that third word, so, because the word so changes that verse from just a fact a statement of a fact that God loves us, to a statement of how much God loves us. And as I was meditating on this this morning when I got up for my prayer time and to, to just review things for today, this thought struck me, because we're going to talk about a father's love this morning, what a father's love is like. What, what kind of father? Just, just look at that statement. Forget, let's forget that's in the Bible for a moment. And if you just read that about somebody... That God loves somebody else so much that he sacrificed his only son. What kind of father is that? What kind of father would take his beloved son and just sacrifice him? And I was thinking about how in the Old Testament times, and I'm sure there may still be places in the world where this is done today, that, that pagan societies as an act of worship to what they didn't realize necessarily were demonic spirits, is they would literally sacrifice their children. And there's a phrase in the Old Testament where some of them cause their children to pass through the fire. Literally, they would take a god, they would heat him up with fire on the inside, and then they would lay their children in the arms of this hot, burning hot idol to sacrifice their child, thinking that, that by somehow sacrificing this child that I love so much, that was an expression of their love for that god. What kind of father would sacrifice his own son? Well, the answer is a father that loves someone else as much, if not more. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, so that whosoever should believe in it on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Let's go to Matthew chapter 6. In Matthew chapter 6 is in the, the beginning part of a, a message that, that we, we term the Sermon on the Mount. And that's Matthew 5 through Matthew 7. It's interesting because in, in the New King James Version, in that passage of Scripture from Matthew 5 through Matthew 7, Jesus uses the term Father 14 times. 
One of the things Jesus came to do was to reveal God as the Father. God is the creator of all. And in the Old Testament, God reveals himself most of the time as their God. He said, I will be a God to you and you'll be my people. And what is a God? A God is the one that is powerful. A God is the one that oversees. And if they're a good God, then what they do is provide for you, take care of you, and all those other things that, 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 that somebody responsible for you would do. But Jesus came to reveal a change in relationship. Jesus came to reveal what God is like. I mean, he came to die also. But he came to reveal what God is like, but not just what God is like in his personality and character, but in the, his heart. And so what Jesus came to reveal is the God that Israel worshipped and the God that provided for them and the God that directed them was also a father. And we're going to see that the concept of father is not something that we have and we've learned to attribute to God. The concept of father goes the other way around. It's what God is and we've learned to attribute it to us. And we'll see that in a minute. But So, so Jesus in this section of scriptures is revealing God as not just one that they could pray to, not just one that would provide for them, but God was a father. And the term father implies a relationship. The term father implies a connection of relationship. And that's what God, Jesus is revealing here. This God that you've worshipped, this God that has a destiny and purpose for your life, this God is a, wants to be a father to you so that you can be a child and a son and a daughter back to him. I've been reading a book that, that, that uh, I don't want to mention it because you'll go to the bookstore and want to order it and I don't know how we can get it. But it's a book about the characteristics of God. And one of the statements in there that, that I never thought of before, I'm getting ahead of myself here, is that God only creates things he loves. Three of you got that. Well, so we'll try it again. God doesn't have to do anything. Try it over here. God doesn't have to do anything. He's God. Everything that exists comes from Him. Therefore, everything that exists is His idea. It only exists because He wanted it. And the reason He wanted it is so He could love it. Because the essence of who God is is love, and the very essence of love is it has to have something or someone for that love to be poured out on. Human love, selfish love, we can be satisfied with ourself. But the God kind of love is only satisfied when it's giving of itself to others, especially those that don't deserve it. So in, I just want to go through a couple of scriptures. We know them well, but just to point out this idea of this change that God is, that Jesus is, wants to reveal here. In Matthew 6, starting in verse 5, he's talking about prayer. He said, When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. For they, I could really get bogged down in here or sidetracked, but I've got to go on. For they love to pray, the, the hypocrites, love to pray standing in the synagogues in the, cor in the corner of the street so that may be seen by men. In other words, they're praying so that others could see them. I remember years ago, 
on a Tuesday night prayer, one of the elders who's no longer here, I asked him if you could fill in for us. And, and I was here. And I, he came up to me later and he says, well, how did I do? I said, then you don't really understand what prayer is. Prayer is not a performance where the pastor then evaluates what kind of job you did. Prayer is communicating with God. And the ultimate proof of how your prayer was is that you get an answer. Because you're communicating with God and he's talking about people that wanted to pray for appearances sake or so that they could feel good about themselves. And we as Christians have to be careful of this because we can pray in the morning and say, I, I I can check that off today. I prayed, I read my Bible, I'm a good person today. And that's really not a whole lot different than what they were doing. Our motives are different, but we're praying to be seen by God, not necessarily by men. And God is robbing us of a relationship with Him. God wants us to come and talk to Him because He's your Father. And He loves you. And you don't have to be here on Tuesday night at 6 o'clock to do it. We want to have you here on Tuesday at 6 o'clock. You don't have to be on your knees. You don't have to be standing. You can be driving your car. You can be in the shower. I talk to God in the shower. I talk to God in the car. I talk to God all over the place because He's my Father. And I go through long periods of time of the day when I forget and then I remind myself, you need to talk to him. Talk to him about everything you're going through. He's your father. He's your father. And Jesus says here, Surely I see to you they have their reward. Verse 6, But when you pray, go to your room, and when you've shut your door, pray to your father who is in the secret place, and your father who is in secret will reward you openly. So he's talking about when you pray, you're talking to your father who's there and listening to you. Then in verse 7, And when you pray, don't use vain repetitious as the heathens do. In other words, because why? For they think they're going to be heard because of their many words. They think they're going to be heard because of how they pray. When they pray. Whether they're standing or whether they're kneeling. Whether they're, you know, dressed up or not dressed up. They think they're going to be heard because of what they do. But he says in verse 8, don't be like them. By the way, heathens are people that have no relationship with God, so they don't have any choice. The only way they can talk to God is by trusting in what they're doing. But verse 8, Jesus said, don't be like them. For your Father, why can't we, why are not we not to be like them? Because God's not a, just a God to us, He's a Father. God is God to everyone that exists because He's created us all. But He's only a Father to those who are born of Him. I'm a pastor to everyone that's in this church that's submitted to me as a pastor, that looks to me as a pastor. But I'm only a father to four children, two of here are in this church. And so, well, let me get back. I'm going to get off track here. I know I am. There's so much in here. Therefore, do not be like them, verse 8, for your father, listen to this, knows the things you have need of before you ask. Therefore, in this manner, pray, verse 9, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Okay, let's go over to chapter 7. Jesus is talking about prayer again. Starting in verse 7, he says, Ask and it will be given unto you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you if his son asks for bread? So in order to communicate something about God as Father, he's trying to say, come and ask. I remember I was up at 2 o'clock in the morning praying about something that was really, I guess, stressing me out. 
and I began to say, God, I can't sleep. This, you know, I need to talk to you about this. And this verse came to me. And the Lord said, ask me. And I said, I have asked you. He said, no, you haven't. Because you haven't asked expecting I'm going to answer you. And then he said this thing to me. It just jolted me. I'd never thought of this before. He said, why would I tell you to ask if I don't intend to answer? Why would I tell you to ask if I don't intend to answer unless I'm teasing you? Why would I tell you to seek if I don't intend for you to have it? Why would I tell you to knock if I don't intend to open the door? I'm ready to answer. I'm ready to, to, to reward. I'm ready to open the door. I just need you to ask, to seek, and to knock. And then to under, explain why we have trouble with this, he goes on and says here, what, verse 9, For what man among you, if his son asks for bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? In other words, your fathers who love you aren't going to play games with you. If you ask them for something, they're not going to tease you with it. They're going to give you what you ask for because that's what's in their heart. How much more will your Father in heaven give what's good to those who ask them? So he's saying, come to me out of this relationship and ask me for what you need. Ask me for what you want. I'm not going to play games with you. I'm not telling you to ask me because I'm testing you out. I want to answer you, but I need you to ask me before so that I can answer you. Can you hear his heart cry in that? God's saying this morning, there's so many things I want to do for you. There's so many things I want to save you from that you're headed into. There's so many problems I want to solve with you and for you, but you don't ever come and ask me. Oh, you may say prayers, but it's not a... See, the word ask there in Greek is a word that means to cry out out of a need. It's not a religious term at all. It's not, well, Father, I've asked you. It's, help! Sorry, sound people. Some of the most fastest answered prayer, though that's a word, I've ever gotten was, help! Because it's coming out of my heart. Oh, we could stop there too. We better move on. Ephesians chapter 3. And we'll get into some of these things as we continue on in studying the Father's love. But I want to show you what a father is from the Word this morning. Ephesians 3, verse 14. For this reason, Paul says, this is, a, this is a prayer. I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. The Spirit of God is revealing how God sees us. He sees us as the body of Christ, but He sees us as a family. And He is the Father, not only of the Lord Jesus Christ, but He's the Father of this family. And so we're to come to the Father for what we need. We're to trust the Father. What pleases Him more than anything else is to trust Him. It was coming to me this morning while we were worshipped. The, the, the Hebrews eleven six. For without faith it's impossible to please God. 
Why? Because what faith do, does, for, for without faith it's impossible to please God, for in order to come to Him. So what pleases God is that we come to Him. But you can't come to Him, or you won't come to Him, if you don't have faith in Him. And the proof of it is, what do you do when a crisis arrives? What do you do when you get that unexpected bill? I got a notice the other day, I don't know all the details yet, of an unexpected, potentially significant bill for this church we weren't expecting. And my mind starts racing, and all of a sudden I stop, wait a minute. God, this is your problem, not mine. Your word says be anxious for nothing. I'm not going to be anxious about this. I don't know the details. I don't know the answer. I know the one that gives the answer, and I don't know the one that provides, and it's you. So I'm not going to worry about this. I'm not even going to think about it right now because I can't do anything about it right now. It's your problem, God, that I love you. As long as I do what, you're spo- what I'm supposed to do, and we do what we're supposed to do, you'll take care of this because this is not too big for you. Oh, you didn't say that with conviction. This is not too big for you. You understand how big God is? The universe, which they still haven't measured yet, and they measured in light years. You know what a light year is? Light travels at the speed of 186,000 miles per second. And a light year is how far light will travel in a year's worth of seconds. So you total up the number of seconds in a year and multiply that by 186,000 miles, that's one light year. And some of these other solar systems are billions of light years away from us. And God holds the universe in His hand. Somewhere in that universe is, is our universe. Somewhere in that universe is our solar system. Somewhere in that solar system is our planet Earth. Somewhere in that planet Earth is Seekonk. And somewhere in Seekonk today is you. And somewhere in you is that problem that's so big to you. It's yours. John chapter 1. Pastor Kurt, I thought he was going to... I thought between Pastor Kurt and my wife, this is, they were going to preach this message this morning. <laughs> Verse 10, this is talking about Jesus. He was in the world. It starts out by saying, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In other words, it goes back. John's gospel starts before the earth was formed. It says, before everything was formed, there was God the Father, and there was God the Son, who is the Word, the full expression of the Father. And then it says in verse, it's going to say down in verse 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. But here in verse 10, it's talking about the Son, who's now in the world. He was in the world, look at this, and the world was made through Him. And the world did not know Him or recognize Him, because they only saw Him in His natural form. He came to his own, that's the Jews, the Hebrews, but his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, how many of us have received him? As many as, of has, as, many as have received him, to them he gave the right, the ability to become children of God. 
See, I thought when I was saved, all that happened is I got saved from going to hell and I got into heaven. And if that's all it was, that's wonderful. But then I began to, as I read, began to read my Bible, discovered there was far more than that. I was, the, Colossians 1.13 says I changed kingdoms. Colossians 1.13 says I was delivered, when you came to Christ, you were delivered from the dominion, the domain of darkness, that's Satan's domain, and you were transferred over into the kingdom of his beloved son. You changed families when you came to Christ, when you received Christ. But this is how it happened. Because as many as believed on him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Now, I love little words. You saw that when we looked at John 3.16. The word so tells you how much God loves you. So we became children of God. These are my glasses. You could express it this way, it's a little awkward, but they are the glasses of John. Of is a possessive pronoun, which means belongs to. So we are children who belong to God, to those who believe on His name, who were born not of blood, that's what your body was born of. Your body was born out of flesh, your parents' flesh nor of the will of flesh, which is the desire of flesh. Some of you, your parents desired you, and some of you were, oops. <laughs> nor of the will of man, but those who were born of God are born of and that word is in Greek a word that means out of. So he's talking here about the birth, that those that believe on Christ experience a birth. And that birth is not like the birth of your body because the birth of your body was the result of the will of man. Whether you were willed for or not, what produced you was willed for. And that produced your flesh, born of flesh or born of blood. But this birth is a birth of the inner man. And this birth of the inner man is not born of the will of humans, beings, your parents, but this is born of the will of God. In other words, God wanted you. And you're born out of Him. Peter talks about that we have become partakers of the divine nature. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, new creation. That word literally means a new species of being. We're going to talk about that somewhere in this year. It'll change your image of yourself when you understand when you came to Christ, you literally changed. You're not the same person you were before you came to Christ. This will set you free from all the bad experiences, all the baggage you brought when you, as a, when, when you were, grew up. All that stuff's in your head, it's in your mind, it's in your memory, but it's not in you. And so as you learn to renew your mind to who you really are, it begins to change how you act and how you talk. You begin to think of yourself, I literally am a child of God. First Corinthians says, I'm one spirit with Christ. My spirit, man, that new creation... And your new are joined to Christ. Christ is living in you. 
You are as complete in that spirit man as you're ever going to be. We're complete in him. The trouble is the other two-thirds of us, our body and our soul. But if you don't see yourself as a new creature, you start out already way behind because you think, I gotta, in order to be acceptable to God, in order to be loved by God, i got to get this whole thing cleaned up. You are already loved by God, not because you've gotten it all cleaned up, because of who He's made you to be on the inside. We can get stuck there too, so we better move on. All right, so we've been born out of Him. Because we are born out of Him, so what Christ, what John's saying here is, to those who've received Christ, He became their Father. God became their Father. Because they're born out of Him. And a father, have you ever think about why does a father love his child? Now you may have some kids, you wonder why you love them right now. And we all have children, and sometimes, thinking about this the other day, yesterday, so, you know, sometimes my children don't do things that please me, but I still love them. Why does a father, or a mother, but we're talking about Father Day, why does a father love that? Well, let me ask you this question. When that child is first born, I didn't get the privilege of seeing my first son born, because at that time you couldn't go in the delivery room. But the other children, I was there when they were, came into this earth, came, came out of, and were, came into light. And you look at them, and you look at this little wet thing. And I don't care what we... They're ugly. <clears throat> but what do we say? Oh... Isn't she cute? Isn't she beautiful? No! But why? We're not lying. They're beautiful not because of their appearance. They're beautiful because they came out of us. Why do you think as parents, even now, and now as grandparents, even worse. And with cell phones, it's much worse. You was talking with somebody, you want to read, these are my grandkids, these are my family. We want to show them to everybody. Because they're perfect? Oh no. Because they're yours. I remember one time when um, I was in the waiting room because she was getting ready for, it was, a, it was the twins, our youngest two sons when they were born. I was in the waiting room and there's this father comes over this boy and there's a bunch of fathers and some grandparents sitting in this waiting room and he's going around telling see my son 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 he still had the smock on see my son big grin here to here see my son see him see him and his mother was sitting in there and after he left she looked at me and says she just started laughing he said through the whole nine months he was trying to deny that, that she was even pregnant he said, I'll never have anything. You know, he said, I just, you know, I'm, you know, I'm not ready for this. I won't change diapers. I won't, you know, this is your business. You know, he said, we can't get that child out of his arms now. <laughs> Why? What did that little boy suddenly do for that young father to change that father's heart? <clears throat> did the boy come with, you know, with a bag of gold with him? No, he came with debt. You think of how much that child's going to cost you? <laughs> <clears throat> they don't look so beautiful now, do they? <clears throat> what the mother just had to go through to bring the child into the earth? 
They don't look at him and say, you caused me all that? What, what, I'm serious. What, what is there about that child that suddenly you're just, the love pours out of them, the, even though they're ugly and they're wet and they, don't, they, can't do anything pro, they can't do anything good right now. They just are food processors. Why? It's my son. It's my daughter. What do you think God feels towards you? Why do you think you exist? God loves you because you came out of Him. God loves you because you're His. In fact, you're His because God loved you. Because John says you were born of the will of God. It is God's will that you were born. Okay. This was the principle I saw. God loves whatever He creates. Because he doesn't create something to be indifferent about it. Oh, that is so good. God, everything's been created by God, including you. And God does, because God doesn't have to create anything, he only creates it because he wants it. Now, we can do what we want with that, such as Lucifer traded in what God had for him for what he's got now. That was his choice. But God created him beautiful. To worship Him. God doesn't have to make anything, but so when He makes something, He creates it because He wants it. And He creates it because He wants it and loves it. Alright. So let's begin to look at, with that foundation, what does a father do? What is it? We sing this song, Good, Good Father. What does a father do? We're going to look at God and how he does these things. And every one of these things, God as a father only does out of love. We've already covered some of it. Ephesians chapter 1. The first thing a father does, the way you become a father, is you beget a child. (laughs) You conceive and produce a child. And so we've been begotten by God. Ephesians 1, verse 4. I'm in Romans. That's why it doesn't look right. Just as He chose us, just as He chose us, just as He chose us. Let me ask you a question. Do you think God makes bad choices? I won't ask for a raise a show of hands, but, you know, just think how many of us have made bad choices. We've all made bad choices. God doesn't make bad choices. And He chose us. So you can't possibly be a bad choice because God chose you. For you to be a bad choice, God would have to be capable of making bad choices. God would have to be capable of making mistakes. So you're not a mistake. You may have been a mistake to your parents, but you're not a mistake to God. God just used your parents who were mistaken to produce you because He wanted you. 
Look at this. Just as He chose us in Christ. So He didn't just chose you to be born. He chose you to be in Christ. And when did He choose you? After you did such a good job as a teenager? Before the foundation of the world, God chose you. That means God had to see you. Of course, God doesn't live in time, so that's not hard for Him to do. So that we would be holy and without blame before Him. In, in, before Him, Look at that. In love. What motivated God to choose you? What motivated God to choose you to be in Christ? What motivated God to choose you before the foundation of the world? What motivated God cho- to choose you so that in Christ He could make you holy and without blame? Why? Before Him, so that you could come to Him. Because you can't come to Him if you're not holy and without blame. Because He is holy and without blame. So the reason God forgave your sins, the bottom line reason why God forgave your sins was not just so you don't have to go to hell. See, God doesn't do things in the negative. God's motive is always positive. So that by doing something positive, you avoid something negative. But God doesn't just want to avoid something negative. He wants to do something positive. So God didn't save you so you don't have to go to hell. God saved you. God forgave your sins, paid for your sins on the cross. So that He could legally forgive you. And God had to forgive you so that He could now give you His own Son's righteousness. We're going to see this when we go through Romans 8. And God had to give you His own Son's righteousness so you could now come to Him as He is holy and without blame. You could now come to Him holy and without blame as a child of God. So God's motive for everything He's done for you and with you and through you is so that you could come to Him as His child, so He could have you for Himself. And if we went on and read in Ephesians, we would see that He did this to satisfy His own good pleasure. So you bring pleasure to God, especially when you come to Him. Psalm 139. We've got to move on. Verse 13. And you formed my inward parts. He's talking about, in, he said, and you covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Oh boy, could we go off on that? Marvelous are your works that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden to you. Something like your skeleton. When I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes, that means in the area that's not seen. Your eyes saw my substance yet unformed. And in your book they were all written. The days were fashioned for me when as yet there were none of them. How precious are your thoughts to me or towards me, O God. How great... Is the you know God's thinking about you all the time? I don't have time to go there, but, but over in it's Psalm 40, verse 5, says that God's, you're always on God's mind. He's always thinking about you. See, we have this impression, oh, God's just so distant. That's because we're distant from Him. But God's not distant from you. 
He's always thinking about you. You're always on his mind. Got to move on. Got to move on, John. Okay, so he begets, he creates. The second thing is a father, a good father, imparts identity, purpose, and value. A good father deposits something in. In Romans, I think it's Romans, where Paul says, you know, you have many teachers, but you don't have many fathers. I come to deposit something in you. I come to deposit something down inside of you of what I am. When you mentor somebody, when you're a a spiritual father to somebody, you're depositing what's in you in them. It's not everything they need, but it's what you have you deposit in them. And what is it a father deposits in in his children? It's a sense of value. It's a sense of identity. Who are you? You're ours. You're part of this family. And so, you know, you get, it's interesting because we, one of the days we were in Florida, my wife wanted to go over to Epcot. And it was for her birthday, so I took her, you can do whatever you want to do today. So we went over there. And I saw families with t-shirts on saying, we're the such and such family. And what they were doing is they were identifying themselves together. You understand that you have a spiritual t-shirt on this morning? In the spirit realm, you're identified as the family of God in Christ. You've been marked. The emblem on you is the Holy Spirit, which marks you. So the Father gives an identity. He gives a sense of purpose. He deposits in a child a sense of value. A mother can give it to a degree, but a father can deposit it so much differently than a mother, and especially in a son. Jeremiah 29, 11. Well-known verse. says, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. God's thinking towards you. And he knows the thoughts that he's thinking towards you. Thoughts of peace and not of evil. To give you a future and a hope. Some, some translations say, and an expected end. God says, I know my thoughts towards you. I know my plans towards you. I know what I have for you. That's why it's so important with young people to speak destiny into them. God has a purpose for your life. The reason they go off and get into the trouble they get into, the reason there's a high suicide rate among young people is because there's no purpose to their life. And you look in this world and say, why would I want to live here? There's no purpose for me here. But God has a purpose in His kingdom. God has a purpose for every one of us and He's a future and a hope for us. Now let's go to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 4. Started out by saying that we were dead in our sins and transgressions. We were living according to the course of this world among the sons of disobedience. And were by nature, by the nature that we had, we were children subject to the wrath of God. We were children of Satan, it talks about. But we don't have that nature anymore. Verse 4 says, but God... The two most important verses, words in the Bible. But God. We were dead, but God. We were lost, but God. But God, who is rich in mercy. Oh, John, we could stop there. Because motivated by His great love with which He loved us, when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. In verse 6 it goes on and says, And He raised us up and He seated us with Christ in heavenly places. That inner you, that real you on the inside, 
has been raised up and is seated spiritually with Christ in heavenly places. You have a new identity. You have a new value. Your identity in the Father's eyes is Christ. That's why you're such a target of the devil. Because he sees you as Christ. And you're seated with him in heavenly places. I used to have this image years ago that what it, what it meant is this, that the Father's here, the Son's seated here, and I'm Christian number 4,783,275, way, 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 way over there, until I really read my Bible one day, and that's not what it says. I'm in Him. So there's the Father sitting here, there's the Son sitting here, and I'm in the Son So we are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus right next to the Father. That's a position of honor. That's a position of value. And if we had time to go this morning, it's a position of authority. Which is why the church has authority in the earth, spiritual authority. Because we're seated at the right hand of the Father. You are a child of the King. You have His nature in you. You have His ability in you. If the same Spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He will quicken our mortal body. We've got to move on. Matthew chapter 6, verse 8. You can put it up there. Therefore, don't be like them. We already read this. For your Father knows the things that you need before you ask Him. A good Father provides. A good father provides. A good father provides. He says, I, I know what you need before you ask me. So come and ask. James says, you have not because you ask not. And some of you ask, but you ask amiss because you want to consume it on your own lusts. But just ask me for what's good. If you go on a little later in chapter 6, he says in verse 33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. He said earlier there, why are you worried about what you're going to... Why are you worried about your provision? Why why are you worried about... Don't you know your Father knows what you need before you ask? Instead, put your focus and all your energy on the kingdom of God and what God wants and what God desires and what other people need, because then God's able to take care of you. He says, you do this, all these things that you need will be added unto you. The devil wants us to get so worried and so distracted by making sure we can meet our needs that we take our eyes off of God and stop trusting Him. So a good father provides. A good father protects. We're not going to go there, but Psalm 91. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High under the shadow of the mighty goes on to say that He will keep the pestilence from you. He will keep destruction from you. He says, it may happen, a thousand may fall on your right, ten thousand on your left, but it won't come near me. Angels will lift you up and say, well, it's not happening in my... It's not... How come... How come I'm not... How come these things are happening? He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High. Psalm 23 talks about going through difficult times and the Lord's with you. His rod and His staff, they comfort you. God protects you. In fact, when you get to heaven and God lays everything out in front of us, we're going to be shocked at all the messes that our angels kept us from there have been times I know I should have been hit because I was not looking where I was looking at something I shouldn't have been looking at or not 
daydreaming or something and just, I just happen to miss something. It's like, oh, I thank you, Lord. And how many of those didn't happen? He protects. A good father teaches and trains and disciplines. Hebrews 12. And remember, the key thing here is all of these things God as Father does for us because He loves us. They're all motivated out of love. Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to pick up in verse 5. Have you forgotten the exhortation that speaks to you as sons? Relationship. My son... Do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you're rebuked by Him. For whom the Lord loves, He chastens. Don't get afraid of the word chastens. The word chastens means teaches or trains. So a father, because he loves the son, will teach him or train him. Or rebuke him. That's a verbal correction. Verse 6. Whom the Lord loves, He chastens and scourges every son He receives. Now, I studied that word scourge to try to redefine it somehow, but that word is a word that means spanked. Well, that was popular. (laughs) There's a progression here. The first is to teach. God's God's best is that we listen to Him, and He's very patient, and He's long-suffering, but if we're not listening to Him, then He's got to rebuke us. He's got to speak strongly to us. And ultimately, if, he doesn't, if we don't listen to rebuke, we're going to run into some situation that's going to wake us up and say, whoa, what's wrong here? And God's going to say, that's what I've been trying to talk to you about. Okay, but let's go on. Notice, he does this out of because he loves us. Verse 7, if you endure chastening, in other words, if you go through the chastening with the right attitude, then God deals with you as with sons. In other words, if we respond to the chastening, as coming from a loving father, then that's allowing God to be a father to us in that situation. We're allowing God to bring correction because remember, His goal is to conform you to the image of Christ. We are on the inside, but His goal is to conform the other, to the other part of us to the image of Christ. God deals with His son. For what son is there whom His father does not chasten? If you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have human fathers who corrected us. Obviously, this was written in different times than we live in now. And we paid them with respect. Shall we not much more readily be subject to the Father of spirits and lived? For indeed, for a few days they chastened us as seemed best to them, but He for our profit, that we may be partakers of His holiness." So a good father disciplines. The last thing that we're going to look at is a good father prepares a future and an inheritance. We'll go back to Ephesians 1. This is part of a prayer. Paul says in verse 11, In him we also have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. And verse 18 says, The prayer is that the eyes of your understanding be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance to the saints, and the exceeding greatness of the power displays towards us when He raised Christ from the dead. Over in Romans chapter 15, Romans chapter 8, let's go there quickly. Romans chapter 8. Paul's talking about about that we have, the Spirit in us bears witness 
that we are children of God. And if we're children, then we're joint heirs with Christ. Think about that. You're a joint heir. You're a co-heir. An heir is somebody that's inheriting something. You're a joint heir with Christ in Christ Jesus. If indeed we suffer with Him. The suffering He went through wasn't sickness and disease. It was persecution for being righteous. It was, it was persecution for being holiness. It was just the suffering of living in these bodies in this world that's so difficult to live in. But you are a joint heir with Christ. That's who you are. Let's go and we'll end with a simple story. Very well-known story. It's in Luke 15. We'll read down through it quickly and just draw a couple of things out there and then we'll end. Very familiar story. There was a certain man, verse 11, that had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided them his livelihood. And not many days after that, the young son that gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he spent all, there arose a great famine in the land, and he began to be in want and need. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. So he's trying to get himself out of the mess he's gotten himself into. Anybody ever been there? All right, he said, I've made a mess here, I've made a mistake. Now he's going to figure his way out of this mess. Joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed the swine. Exciting job, especially for a Jew. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods the swine, the swine ate, but no one gave him anything. So the pigs wouldn't even share their food with him. I mean, it's pretty bad when you're jealous of the, what the pigs are getting to eat. Because you remember what that's called? Slop. When you're jealous of slop, you're in a bad way. You're hungry. You're in a bad way. And he's down with the pigs feeding them in the slop, jealous of what they're eating, and the pigs won't share with him, the boss won't share with him. He's hungry, and he finally comes to his senses. Verse 17, And when he came to himself, that's what we've got to do. We've got to come to our senses. We've got to wake up and realize, Whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> this isn't good. Maybe I've got to change something. He said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to eat and to spare, and I hear I perish with hunger. I know what I'll do, verse 18. I will get up, I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm not worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion on him, and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe put it on him put a ring on his hand put sandals on his feet bring a fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry for the son was dead this is what it's all about my son who was dead is alive again he was lost and is found and they began to make merry ah now his older brother was in the field as he came he drew near to the house he heard music and dancing called one of his servants over and said what does this mean verse 27 he said to them, Your brother has come, and because he's received safe and sound, your father's killed the fatted calf. And, but the other brother was angry and would not go in, and therefore the father came out and pleaded with him. He answered and said to him, to his father, Lo, these many years I've been serving you, and I've never transgressed your commandments at any time, yet you never gave me a young goat, you never made merry for my friends. As soon as this son of yours came, has who has devoured your livelihood and heart with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him." And the father said to him, Son, you're always with me, 
and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make Mary and be glad, for your brother was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and he was found. This is called the story of the prodigal son, but it's really not about the son. It's about the father and the father's heart. Father had two sons. One of them, one of them was selfish. Well, they're both selfish. One of them was rebellious and the other son was self-righteous. But notice the father loved both of them. The father loved both of them. And read this story because it's all about the heart of that father. Because what you've got to understand is the father in those days had a specific status and dignity. He wore special robes, especially a father that had wealth like this father had. And when a son, before the father passed, said, I want my inheritance, that was considered a rejection of the father, a rejection of the family, and all that father and family stood for. So when the son said, I want my inheritance now, he was rejecting his father and rejecting his family, and he goes off. But notice when he finally came to his senses, he's figured out things were better back home. As a hired servant, my, they live better than I'm living right now. I want to go back to be a hired servant in my father's household because he's good enough. At least I'll have food and shelter and clothing. But notice, it says, while he was a long way off, the father saw him. In order for the father to see him, see, a normal father would have sat in his tent, and the sons would have come to him, the servants would have come to him, everybody came to him. But this father, most, most likely every day, at some point, was out there every day looking over the horizon. Because they didn't have cell phones. He didn't get a text. He didn't happen to be on Facebook that morning and saw a, a, an Instagram picture of his son in the pig slop saying, I decided to go home. He had no idea this day what was going to happen. So he's looking out there. He's longing for this son. He's looking for him. And when the son comes, there's no indication that he took a shower, had a change of clothes, stopped by Brooks Brothers on the way in. He comes all covered with that stuff, caked on him on his clothing. And he's, I love this. He starts his speech... And his speech starts out by saying, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Let me ask you a question. At what point was he worthy enough before to be his father's son? He was not his father's son because he was worthy. He was father's son because he was born out of that father. That's what made him worthy to be a son. He had messed up, he had fouled up his life, but it never changed him from being his father's son. I love it, because the son comes back, he starts into his speech. Notice the father doesn't even hear it. He doesn't respond at all. He doesn't hear the speech and say, well, let me consider what I'm going to do with you. Maybe we better put you on probation so that you don't do this again. He doesn't hear any. All he knows is one thing, because it's what he says when he calls for the fatted calf. All I know is this, my son was lost, and he's now found. He was dead, and he's now alive. God saw you before the foundation of the world and He chose you personally to be His child. 
And when you were conceived in your mother's womb, He watched over you being formed with great anticipation. And then when you came forth, as you grew up, but then as you grew up, like most of us, we wandered away like this son. We went off and took the things that God had given to us. Our life, our time, our body, whatever God had given to us as a free gift, we took it and we squandered it chasing after other things, chasing after the devil's world, chasing after our own dreams. And then somewhere along the line, we came to our senses. And when you did, you didn't have to cry out God and He found out, you know, where where, where are they? I lost track of them. I don't know where John is. I just, I lost track of him. I don't know where... No! He was right there the moment you turned. He was right there looking for you, waiting for this moment. And the moment you opened that door to Him, He came flooding in to you. And he didn't hear what you said. He didn't even hear your words. We go, do I say the right words? He's not hearing the words. He's hearing your heart. And all he says, all I know is this. He put his arms around you with all the mess in your life. Put his arms around you. and, 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 And all he says, all I know is my son, my daughter was dead. And now they were lost. And now I have them for my own. The heart of the Father. 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 He's a good, good Father. He's a good, good Father. He's a good, good, good Father. Praise God. Well, I thought we were going to sing a song. There we are. Okay. Well, he's never sure when I'm ready, so... He loves you. This is what Anita was trying to share with you. He loves you more than you'll ever begin to imagine. He loves you so much. And as we begin to get that revelation, it changes us. The things we've talked about. How can we worry? How can we be afraid? How can we be concerned for the future? This world is getting darker and more violent. But God loves... None of that changes God's love for us. God's protection. God's provision. God loves you.